Maria was living the life. I mean, she had three teenage children, which is crazy, right? We've all had, as parents, we know what that's like, and some of you will are yet to know that, but it uh, gets even more interesting if you can believe it or not. As teenagers, she was just living the life. Denver, Colorado, she loved where she lived, and one day her eyes started going wonky on her. I don't know, as an adult and an older adult, I definitely can get that. And in her fairly young age, she started having eye trouble. She went to the doctor, and the doctor told her that she had cataracts, which was unusual for a young person. But it's a simple procedure, right? I've actually had it, some of us have, you know? And so they went in to do the procedure, and during the procedure, something went wrong, and they damaged her optic nerve. And so she lost sight in one of her eyes. And if this wasn't bad enough, they told her that she was eventually going to lose sight in both of her eyes. So Maria kind of lived in that, and then one day it happened. She woke up, and she was blind, a world of complete darkness. She, had, she and her family moved to Greensboro, and she had from time to time to, had to go back to Denver to see her, her doctor. And uh, she was in Denver this one particular time, and for some reason, she got separated from her husband, who was her caregiver. Uh, who she had never been without, because this, uh, this was just pretty much after when she lost her sight. So this, this whole world of darkness is a new thing for her. And her husband, got, she got separated from her husband and had to fly home to Greensboro by herself. And she'd never flown by herself before blind. So she bought a first-class ticket, which meant she was going to be right in front of the plane, right? She's going to step on that plane. She can do this. We're going to sit in the very first seat, right? I can do it. And when she got to the, uh, to the gate, she was informed that they had given her seat away. Yeah. And uh, but they were going to put her in business class, which, you know, was three seats back, right the bulkhead. But then they realized they didn't have that seat either. The only seat they had was in the back of the plane. And she just broke into tears because she was without, she was all by herself, sitting in the airport. She had no one to turn to, and she was afraid. And not only she broke into tears, she started sobbing with tears, and she was just in fear. You know, Maria's story isn't unlike a lot of our lives, you know, when we get thrown curveballs, right, that put us in fear. And they actually lead us into our passage this morning, because today we're going to look at one man's prayer. That's all we're going to look at, one prayer, one man's prayer, specifically the prayer of a man who's sitting in prison in Rome. Paul of Tarsus wasn't your typical Roman prisoner, to be real honest. He actually wasn't your typical Jewish man either. He had stolen nothing or had been accused of a crime, as you or I think of a crime. Instead, Paul was accused of being a Jewish Christian, a charge that he wholeheartedly accepted. We know that around 62 AD, Paul, the author of much of our New Testament Bible, for those of you uh, who are new or maybe are searching for your faith or a faith, Paul wrote, most of the New Testament that's in the, our Bible, the Christian Bible. Uh, he was enchained in Rome for almost two years while he awaited trial before the emperor Nero. I guess you've heard of Nero. Uh, most prisoners who went before Nero feared for their lives, but not Paul. Paul trusted that God had personally arranged this trial so that Paul could witness to the most powerful man in the whole world. That's the way Paul saw it. He had the chance to tell the most powerful man in the whole world about the love of God. He wasn't afraid to boldly declare how God had become like one of us, taking on human flesh and blood, human thoughts, emotions, and how he was even willing to die in our place to pay our debt to sin. 
to remove that barrier between God and people. Paul wasn't naive. He knew that Nero was a man who considered himself a god. He also knew that Nero was known to feel threatened when anyone spoke of any power greater than his own. But Paul wasn't intimidated, folks, because he feared disappointing Jesus more than he feared Nero's judgment or retribution. Did you hear what I just said? Paul feared disappointing Jesus more than he feared Nero, which I got to be honest here. This is key, folks. You need to hear this because we will never experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives until we, you and me, we get to the place where we fear disappointing Jesus more than we fear anything else in our lives. As Paul awaited his appointed date with Nero, he didn't waste a single minute of time, folks. He spent every waking moment doing one of three things. One, sharing the gospel of Jesus with anyone and everyone he met. Two, confronting and comforting and encouraging his fellow believers in Rome to live lives that are worthy of their calling as devoted Christ followers. And three, he wrote letters to the new churches, the worshiping communities that he had, he had started, many of which he, he knew intimately, and he exhorted them to continue on in faith and love. So that's what he did with his days for those two years. Now, it's one of these letters, actually, the one today, actually, that we're reading, that gives us a glimpse into Paul's heart for Jesus and his love for people, the letter to the Ephesians. Now, by the way, I was actually going to preach in Galatians, but for the last two months, Danny kept telling you I'm preaching in Ephesians. So we're preaching in Ephesians today. That's okay, because I actually am enjoying this. I, and Danny was probably right. This is good stuff. From Acts, we can see that, folks, that Paul stayed in Ephesians longer than any other church that he planted. He was there no less than three years. Which, excuse me, for Paul, that is a long time. No doubt, during this time, he developed really close relationships with his Christian friends there. And in our passage this morning, we have Paul's prayer for them where he asked God, the God of the heavens, to open the eyes of their hearts to see the reality of the hope they have in Jesus and to live their lives fully in that hope. But before we go there, I want you to pray with me. And let's also ask the God who dwells in the hearts of people to open our hearts this morning so that we can also know the incredible magnitude of the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we can live lives daily that are worthy of that hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of your word this morning, the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask even now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would transform us today. No one leaves here the same, that you would breathe those bubbles of your Holy Spirit into our hearts and we would be changed, that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we might truly see you and know you. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, and all God's people said. All right, get those Bibles out. Go back. I can't remember the page number, but you got it. Turn with me to it. Uh, I'm actually going to be using the translation that I kind of put together, which, you know, I used to call it the Bucky translation. So I'm using that, but you can definitely follow along with it, okay? Turn back to Ephesians 1. Let's look at our passage together. You notice it starts for this reason, right? Okay, so you know the drill, right? We're going to have to backtrack here because we have no clue what this reason is. Paul starts with, for this reason, so we're going to have to go back and we're going to have to find the reason that Paul's talking about. We find it in verses 4 to 10, if you'll look at them, where the Holy Spirit, now, we can't go, y'all, we're not talking about this invisible ghost, okay, like, you know, Casper. Granted, the Holy Spirit is invisible, but even as you saw, when you put something on that, those, that wind that goes through that machine, you can see the bubbles, right? 
When you put flesh on him, you can see it. You see, when you put flesh around the Holy Spirit, you can see him too in us. So we're talking about the same Holy Spirit that indwells us, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, has the power to raise dead people. That Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, declares that God had chosen him, Paul, and the Ephesians for the privilege of being adopted as God's own children, giving them the opportunity not only to know God personally, but also to be able to call him, what does it say? Abba, Father, which literally translates Daddy. Paul tells us, and he tells the Ephesians, that God sent Jesus as a Savior, Redeemer, and that together he and they have redemption in Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now, we're going to talk about God's grace more next week, okay? But for today, we'll leave it at that. But for now, Paul reminds uh, also these new believers, okay, in Ephesus and in the churches around them, that because they've heard the message of the gospel and they've received it with faith, that they are sealed in this adoption by the power of the Holy Spirit living in their hearts and working through their lives. The same power again, remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in them and me, you, us. So the bottom line is that they are now God's personal possession and for this reason, Paul has prayed for them since their journey in Christ began. So this brings us to our passage this morning, so let's look back at it, let's start over. For this reason, you ready? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, did you catch that? What are the two things about the church in Ephesus that immediately brings Paul into this worshipful thankfulness to God? Did you catch the two things? Faith and love. Faith, love. And as I thought about that more this week, it really makes sense to me, actually. You see, because if you... Look at Jesus' interaction in Matthew 22. And if you want to go there in your Bibles, you can. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. Okay, if you get to like Mark, you've gone too far. If you're back in like, you know, Judges or whatever, you've gone way too far back. So if you want to turn to that, Matthew 22, you can look at it. Here, Jesus is, is arguing with the religious leaders. So let's pick it up here. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them tested him with this question, teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So from the very mouth of our Lord himself, we find that the two greatest things a worshiping community can do, like Stuart Press, is to love the Lord fully, right? and to love others as much as we love ourselves. Pretty simple, two things. Love the Lord fully. Love our neighbors, those around us, as much as we love ourselves. So how do we love the Lord fully? Well, Jesus goes on and actually defines that for that. We don't have to worry about trying to figure it out ourselves. He tells us how we can love the Lord fully. If you, if you look in the Gospel of John, which is a couple of Gospels over, you know, you're in Matthew, jump over Mark, Luke, John, chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. If you love me, this is Jesus talking to us, his disciples, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him, okay, because they don't have that little special bubble machine. It neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. Remember, we're adopted. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him too. And I will, you hear it? See it? I will what? Show myself to him. Folks, we love God by believing in his promises, keeping his commandments, and faithfully doing the things he tells us to do. That's how we love God. First and foremost, our faith and faithfulness is how we love God with our whole hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies. Now, secondly, when our hearts are right with God, then loving our neighbor becomes a natural thing. We do it from the heart, even without thinking about it, even and especially when it's not convenient. Okay, let me tell you something. Broken people who don't know Jesus, they're complicated, their lives are messy, Convenient is not the word I would use when that person comes into my life. It's never convenient to love a broken person. So the reason Paul was so quick to rejoice was because the Ephesians, they proved that they were legitimate sons and daughters of God by their faith in God and their love for others, especially the lost. Could Paul say that about us, you and me, our church? Would he rejoice over us, over you and me? Well, let's read on. We're going to jump back into Ephesians, so go back to Ephesians. And we're going to now read Paul's prayer. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, the word know here is epigonoso. In the Greek, it means intimate knowledge. It's the exact same word that in the Bible is used for physical intimacy between a man and a woman. It means to know someone intimately. So Paul's very first part of the prayer is that God will give you the spirit, his spirit of wisdom and revelations so that you can know Jesus intimately. And then he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be open in order that you may know. And this is a different word, folks. This word, edenai, in the Greek means to have a head knowledge that leads to understanding, that leads to wisdom, that leads to good life choices. Do you, got the, do you see the pattern there? This particular knowledge is a knowledge that comes in through the mind, that's filtered through our understanding and wisdom, and issues forth in us doing the right things. Paul prays that we'll have that knowledge too. He'll praise that we have knowledge, intimacy with Jesus, connection that leads to us knowing and understanding how to apply that and live in the world. See, because this is all about living Jesus, right? That's the title of the sermon series, by the way, Living Jesus. He says that, I pray that you will know the hope to which you're called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. So so he's praying that we will know Jesus intimately, and that we'll live in that knowledge, okay, and in the understanding of it, and we'll make the right choices. And, And we also are given this incredible power to do that because we have his Holy Spirit, right? The same power that raised a dead guy back to life. That's power, folks. We, there's no power in the world that's so powerful that we have. When we have the power to destroy things, but we don't have the power to give things life. Here we find Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. He prays those two things specifically. First, that by the power of his spirit, they have the wisdom of uh, wisdom and revelation. Second, that God would open the eyes of their hearts. So all things to ask, why did he pick those two things? 
He tells us why. First, he prayed for spiritualism and understanding so that, what does it say? We can know Jesus better, right? You want to know Jesus better. God wants you to, to do that. He wants intimacy with you. Paul knew personally that Christ desires intimacy with us. Jesus wants us to know him as deeply as he knows us. That's a desire of his for you and me. And, and that's, whether you're a Christian or not, that's what he wants. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's the guy I'm talking about. He wants to know you. It's one of the reasons he came in the first place and he took on human flesh. When, when we look at the, uh, what Paul wrote to the Philippians, you don't have to turn there, but just listen to what he said to the Philippians. Actually, the Holy Spirit said this through Paul. The Holy Spirit speaking through Paul tells us this. Your attitude, talking to you, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What Paul means here is that God wanted to restore us, you and me, to that same opportunity that Adam had before he sinned. To walk and commune with God daily. That's what he wants for us. Paul acknowledges that there's no way to do this in, the, in our present states. You and me. Him being God and us being sinful, right? I mean, is there anybody here who doesn't think you're sinful? Okay, we can get past that right now. Right? There's nobody in here that actually believes that, right? We all are sinful. So the Bible tells us that God literally emptied his essence into a person, the man Jesus Christ. Someone who walked, talked, thought, breathed, and felt the same way I do. You do. That's what that Greek word means, that we translate made himself nothing in Philippians 2. It means God literally poured himself into a human vessel, Jesus. And when, that also means that when you look upon Jesus, you're looking at God, folks. If you have Jesus in your heart, you have God in your heart. It's a theological misconception to see Jesus as second in command, sort of, you know, because he's the son, the father. Okay, that's just bad theology, folks. It's not a picture, a biblical picture of who Jesus is. So Paul understood the importance of knowing God, right? Intimacy and the significance of grasping that to know Jesus, having that knowledge leads to wisdom and understanding that leads to, to us making good choices. And this is what he prays, that God would give the Ephesians his own Holy Spirit so they can do that. It's that our lives, folks, this hope that we have, that our lives will be conformed into the image of Christ. That's what he wants. He wants us to be more like him. To stop living like the old us and start living like the new us, the redeemed us, the saved us. You see, real Christians aren't satisfied with living their lives like they used to live before they came to Christ. In fact, real Christians came to Christ in the first place because they didn't like those old lives and they wanted something new. Remember? Think back, guys. Isn't that why we came to Christ in the first place? That's why I did. Paul specifically asked that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. Our hearts, folks. Which means that God would cast his light into their lives so that all things are visible to them. Especially the power of the Holy Spirit. Now when Paul asks this, he's acknowledging that we all come to Christ from that darkness and that we even give our hearts to Christ. But you know something? As Christians, we still live in some darkness, don't we? I, I know I do. Do you? I mean, we still have some dark areas in our lives, right? And sometimes we live in that darkness. Our eyes struggle to focus on Jesus. Paul here asked God to shine his light thoroughly into their lives, our lives, so that we can turn our focus clearly on the goal. The hope that we have of being conformed into the image of Jesus and living Jesus. 
and our world. Now, I don't know where any of this hits you, okay? But I do know this. God wants us to know Jesus intimately, to live and walk daily with him. And he also wants us to see things the way he sees them so that we can respond to people and circumstances the way he would do it. I got on the plane in Denver. I was exhausted. The only seats that were left in the back of the plane. So I went to the back of the plane and I sat down, aisle seat, by the way. I always get the aisle seat because you can get up, go to the bathroom, and it was close to the bathroom, so that was actually good too, but I hate the back of the plane. I don't like planes in general. So I'm sitting there, it's 2014, and uh, I'm pretty exhausted, but the seat next to me is open. There's a black guy next to the window, and we looked at each other and like, is this really gonna happen? Are we gonna get the only eye on this whole plane that has this seat? And I'm like basking in this, thinking this is great. I mean, I, I reach and I put my earphones on, and I'm gonna listen to my sci-fi book, and I'm not gonna talk to anybody. I'm loving this moment. But for some reason, the plane's not moving. It's just sitting here. We're sitting here, we're doing, we're not moving at all. And I know we're gonna get to see because it's been 15 minutes and nobody's come through that door. And just when I hit the play button on my book, I see the stewardess is walking this person down the aisle who can hardly stand up. And she's weaving. And she obviously couldn't make it on her own. And as she gets closer, I mean, I know where she's coming, right? I mean, there's only one seat left. I look at the guy, and he looks at me like, oh, well. This woman is just bawling and sobbing. She can barely walk. And so she sits next to me. And what do you say? I mean, what do you do? She's a mess. She can barely speak. And through the tears, she tells me. I ask her, are you okay? And she goes, no. <laughs> Called her like, duh. She had just kind of a little edge on her. I said, what's going on? She says, well, I'm blind, for one thing, you know, and I've never been on a plane before without, you know, my husband. I've never been alone. So what do you do with that? You know, I'm like, Lord, you need to find this woman. She's in a dark place. And this is what I don't really like about Jesus sometimes. He said, no, Becky, you need to find her. And I'm like, yeah, right. How am I going to do that? And that's when it hit me that, you remember when, when the disciples told Jesus that the 5,000 people were getting pretty tired and they were probably pretty hungry, Jesus. Maybe you should send them off into the towns and get something to eat. Do you remember what Jesus did to them? What did he say? Yeah. He said, nah, you feed them. I want you to imagine if you're one of the disciples what you're going to do with that. What do you mean? You heard what they said. He said, there's 5,000 people. Actually, there's 10,000 people. There's 5,000 men, and you add the women and children. There's about 10,000 people here. We couldn't feed them. If, you know, it would take more money than we've seen to feed them. You know? It's the definition of total inadequacy. I, I'm like, what do, you want me, what do you want me to do? I wanted to read my book, by the way, but that's gone. I wanted the MTC. That's gone, too. So, I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Bucky, you have to go in the darkness and find her. Why do you do that? Close your eyes. So, I told Maria, I said, Maria, 
I'm going to close my eyes right now, and I'm going to join you for this flight. Only until they turn off the seatbelt, you know, light. But then when he, when he turns it back on to, to land in Greensboro, I will close my eyes again. And the guy next to her reached over and grabbed her hand and said, I'm going to do this too. So, folks, I want you to imagine. This sounds sort of like adventure, but it's not. It was scary. Closing your eyes, backing up in that airplane, you hear every sound. You know, because you think about it, when you have your sight, you don't think about things like that, but you hear every single sound, and you start to think, wow, I've never heard that sound before. I wonder if the plane's okay. That doesn't sound right. You know, when you're going down the, you know, in the ocean, you hear these noises, and the, the engine is right outside the window, by the way. So I'm just waiting for it to explode. And you're just listening to this. You feel every bump with your eyes closed. You hear every noise. It was scary. I couldn't wait for the seatbelt light to ding. And it did, and she quit crying, by the way. And it was really interesting. You know, I said, uh, I, I have my cell phone here, and I have some music on it. She, I said, is there a particular band you like? I mean, you want to listen, have your phones, you can listen. She goes, yeah, I like Journey. And I'm like, this is a woman after my own heart. I have every song Journey ever wrote right here on my phone. And so she listened to Journey for the flight. And then they put on that seatbelt light again. And back in the darkness, we went. And I can tell you right now, folks, it was scary. I, I can't tell you how scary it was to go dark. But all I can tell you is this. You know, we're, we're basically selfish people, right? All of us. But sometimes God calls us out of that. And he tells us that to open the eyes of our hearts, we have to close our eyes to the way we look at things. That was, a, that was an open the eyes of your heart moment for me. But I know that God wants to do that, folks, for the Marias of this world. That's what he wants. This is just one example, and I'm not special. I don't even know, you know, I know the Holy Spirit gave me this because I'm not smart enough to come up with it on my own. But this is what he wants for us. He wants us to live by faith. Sometimes to just close our eyes and open them here and just do what we're told to do. Faithful, obedient. If we're honest about it and I think willing to be truthful, we can all agree we need to know Jesus better, right? Really, help me here, don't we? I don't care how old you are. We all need this. We all need the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can fully see that hope that God has placed before us, the hope of being more like Jesus. What would Jesus really do in this moment? To live Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in front of all who sit down next to us. So if this is kind of you this morning and you kind of walk away from this thinking, you know, I think I'd like to do that. I can tell you right now it's scary. Don't say it unless you really mean it because after I agreed to do it, I didn't want to do it. And I did not want to do it the second time. You know, because going down, we hit all kinds of crazy turbulence and I thought I was going to die in the dark. But I pro- and I didn't open my eyes because I promised that lady I wouldn't. But, but trust me, if I could have, I would have because I wanted out of this. I wanted to get back in the light. Maria still, to this day, still is in that darkness. But she has a different light she lives by as well. So... I spoke to her this week, actually. I have her on my phone, blind woman from Greensboro. So, you know, so I called her up. Hadn't spoken to her since that day. So that was kind of interesting. And we talked a little about this, and she still remembers it. I still remember it. The day I met Maria on an airplane to Greensboro. But if, if, if you want God to open the eyes of your heart, 
Then let's pray. Pray with me. And, and don't pray this prayer again unless you really mean it because God is gonna, he's gonna mess with you this week probably. That's what he does. So if this is what you want, pray with me. And let's ask God if he will give us the courage to be more like him and less like us, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can live, Jesus, in this dark place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of living in this world, this broken, crazy world with all its messiness. And we thank you, Lord, that you've called us into this relationship of intimacy, drawn us close to you so that we can be more like you. And in the times, Lord, when we want to be selfish and we want our way, we pray, Lord, that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us into your image, to be like you and not like us, to walk like you and not like us. And we pray, Lord, that as you bring people into our lives and you call us to live Jesus in their world, that we'd have the courage to do it. Because we, in the end, I, I know you're going to help us do it. Whatever's required to feed the 5,000, you're going to show us how to do it. Even in our complete inadequacy, you're going to be sufficient for the moment. So today, Lord, speak to us. Stuart Presbyterian Church, this worshiping community, make us the type of church that would do that, would go into the darkness to find the lost. We ask this in Jesus' name.